Hi, and welcome to our podcast. We're on day five of our Passion Week series, and today's is titled, Who Killed Jesus? I'd like to begin with quoting from Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 16. The incident that happened when Jesus was before Pilate on trial, and Pilate wanted to let him go. This is how it reads. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city, and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Barabbas was a prisoner, insurrectionist, murderer. The mob doesn't want to do what's right. This mob violence seems nonsensical to Pilate, the governor, who has Jesus on trial. He knew Jesus was innocent. He knew the chief priests were envious of him. It was the day of the crucifixion as Jesus stood trial before Pilate. The priests wanted it to end quickly because of the Sabbath day that was coming. We live in a time where divisive forces in society seem to be going on overdrive. People are divided based on religion, economic status, gender, sexual orientation, values, regions where they come from and, and where they live. Some days as I read the news, I feel we are all one step away from consuming each other with our prejudices. It is said that if we don't learn from history, we are at risk of repeating it. And so it helps to look at history to see what we are capable of. With the ongoing COVID crisis, we can see how particular sections of our society are blaming other specific ethnic groups or religious groups for the spread of the virus. This causes great division in society and even discrimination, and even attacks, unwarranted attacks on each other in our battle against this virus. On 21st April 2019, Islamic territories entered churches and a hotel in Sri Lanka, strapping bombs to themselves, killing themselves as well as over 350 innocent, unsuspecting men, women, and children. In December 2018, Inspector Subodh Kumar Singh found himself in the midst of an angry mob in Bulanshahar district. In his efforts to pacify and control the violence, he was beaten, dragged, his fingers cut off and finally killed with his own gun. Who is guilty here? The mob? The one who pulled the trigger? Justice seems so far away. On 21st July 2018, Mobs caught hold of Akbar Khan while he was transporting cows within Rajasthan, accusing him of slaughtering cows, beat him with sticks and punched him till he was half dead and he eventually did die. 
Human Rights Watch found that at least 44 people were killed by mobs in the last four years alone. And this was largely due to communal violence. On 23rd January 1999, Graham Staines and his two sons who were in India serving the poor, the lepers and the destitute were burnt alive as they slept in their jeep on one of the mission trips to Orissa. On 7th April 1994, in Rwanda, two tribes who had lived in harmony for a long, long time were suddenly pitted against each other. Mobs were incited to eradicate the Tutsi population. The Hutus rose against their neighbors and started killing. An estimated 800,000 were killed in the next three-month period in what is known to be one of the most gruesome acts of genocide in human history. And both groups were predominantly comprised of professing Christians. This is just to say that these kinds of acts are not restricted to a particular category of people. It is human nature. And this nature we would do well to recognize is depraved, one step away from terrible, inhumane actions. I see it in me when I harbor murderous thoughts against the guy who got physical with me the other day over a minor accident on the road. When I seem to have evil thoughts against my wife when things don't go my way at home. When lustful thoughts and fantasies sometimes plague my mind, when I sometimes manipulate events and conversations for my own personal gain. I see it in me, the depravity, the pain of knowing the truth, knowing Jesus, but knowing how far I fall short. The Bible declares there is no one righteous, not one. It declares the truth about the human condition, that we are all under the grip of sin depraved in our mind and futile in our thinking. Thus our desires are skewed, our priorities are mixed up, one step away from acting on our instincts. And as I read the story of how a mob chose a violent murderer over Jesus, it breaks my heart over what happened. But at the same time, I can see myself in that mob. And in a way, it is true. The Bible explains that surely he took up our pain, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That was the prophet Isaiah. There's a song, the lyrics of which go like this. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulder, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. While it was a mob that called for Jesus' crucifixion, and there was a time in church history when Christians persecuted the Jews, labeling them as the ones that murdered Jesus, we failed to realize that it was all of us. The Bible declares, again, that the soul that sins must die. And again in Hebrews it says, Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. A death as a substitute was long observed in animal sacrifice laws of Israel. But these sacrifices were inadequate in that they were a daily reminder of sins committed and only in Jesus was the sacrifice perfect. That's why the writer in Hebrews declares, in chapter 7, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And again, later in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, he says, Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So who killed Jesus? His sacrifice for all time, for all people. And so it was me, it was you, it was the whole lot of sinful humanity that needed justice, that needed mercy in light of God's wrath against sin. God in his mercy made a way for us. And just as Barabbas was set free on that day, an innocent man sentenced to death in place of a sinner, he is representative of the lot of us. In the cross of Christ, God reveals his love and mercy for all sinners. That's, that's including you and me. All of us who don't have it quite right, who daily struggle internally with temptations, with unholy desires, with evil thoughts, those of us who are caught in the vicious cycle of sin, unable to break free. In the cross of Christ, there is hope for both the abuser and the victim. We all hurt, and sometimes we are the recipients of hurt. Other times we are the perpetrators. No matter which side we fall on, the cross of Jesus holds out hope. His unjust death and victory through that injustice on the cross reminds us, firstly, that God knows what it's like to have the odds stacked up against Him. He knows how it feels to be betrayed by those closest to you, to have brutal and unjust things meted out against you even though you were only doing the right thing. He knows what it's like to feel like there's no justice in this world, that everything is unfair. He knows that hopeless feeling. And when we go through such seasons, He knows. He's been where we are. He knows the pain and He grieves with us. Not only does He grieve with us, but in our fellowship with Him, He leads us to healing. Secondly, His victory through the cross reminds us that there is hope, that as we walk with Him, He shows us how to respond when we are the recipients of such injustice. He leads us. In Barabbas going scot-free, I see myself. Not just going free to live how I want, but in the cross I see the pursuit of Christ, coming to seek and save the lost. We are all lost, but in the cross of Christ I see the Good Shepherd, the searching Father, the lover of our souls coming out in the cold dead of night, risking the bandits, the robbers, in search of His lost child, that's you and me. In the cross I see His undying pursuit. The Apostle Paul years later reflecting on this, would write, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ, 
we not only see a hope for a second chance, but also for a hope for change. I know if you're like me, you've often thought that, will I ever change? You've, you've probably even looked at yourself and wondered if there's any hope for change to be like Jesus, to, to walk in the ways that God wants us to walk. But in Christ, we know that the one who knows the truth about the human condition came to change it by first solving a problem that no one else could solve, the sin problem. As Barabbas was set free, Jesus was sent to be flogged and then crucified. With every stripe on his back, with every nail pierced on his body, with every thorn pierced into his head, with his body and his blood, he died and he paid the price for our sin with his life. In his sinless death, we see him overcoming sin and defeating sin once and for all, rendering it powerless over you and me when we put our trust in him. No more will humanity be hopelessly lost in sin. But our hope for restoration begins as we have peace with God through Jesus. The story of Jesus' death in exchange for Barabbas' life is a story of love. God's love even for the worst of us. Another chance, another lease of life for all of us who messed up. Those of us who are caught in the web of sin, bitterness and unforgiveness and who need grace. Those who need forgiveness, who need love, it's for all of us. Jesus bore our punishment so that we can be accepted, changed and transformed by his life.